This is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show, and Ella's Leash Production. Heard as a podcast around the world, but heard first on radio stations 100.7 WHUD-FM and Real Country 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Shine On, bringing you healers and dreamers and people who want to make life richer. It's your time to shine on. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for shining on today. Our show may change lives today. People may find the courage to seek help for sexual trauma and abuse. The show is graphic and maybe a little shocking. In December, I held my first healing circle for women who have been violated at Mariondale and Ossining, and that's where I met Lorraine. She sat next to me. She literally sat on her hands and did not speak. But by the next circle in February, Lorraine had found her voice and told her story. We kept in touch. We became friends. I offered her this forum. Her hope is to help someone else. This is Lorraine's story. So I really start my story all the time with why did God allow this to happen? And the reason why I say that is because as a young child, I had been sexually abused by my brother, um, who had been eight years older than I was. So um, I find it very frustrating because I can't remember when it first started, but I know it was before I was seven because we had moved at that point, and I know the abuse had gone on for a few years in that house. So maybe I was four or five years old. Um, But again, it's just so hard to remember when it started. Uh, I do remember as a child, every night I would have this horrible dream, and it would be that I was holding a safe, and it was like it looked like a vault that you have at the bank, only it's much smaller, and I would always be running and running, and I would have all these characters from one of the books I read, a Madeline book, and they would always be chasing me, but I would always wake up before I was actually caught, but I would wake up so exhausted and, and panting and trying to get my breath. Um, it was just horrible. It was a horrible feeling. I think that's why to this day I'm not a good sleeper. Um, I have such a hard time falling asleep and then I'm up in no time. Um, I just find it so hard to know it was my brother. Sometimes I think if it weren't a relative, maybe it would have been better. Not that it makes it any less of an abuse, but it was horrible. Um, My brother, who was my flesh and blood, I guess didn't see me as a human being. Maybe he thought I was his puppet or maybe his plaything. Um, when I was growing up, and this is why I was related to God, I, I thought the reason why God created me was to be abused. Um, I, I really didn't see any other reason in my existence. And, you know, what are the purposes damaged goods have? Because I would look at myself as being damaged. When something is damaged, you just throw it away. After all, it's not worth anything. But for me, another struggle I had is that I was a different type of damaged goods. I was perfect. I was the child that everyone wanted. I was quiet, and I did whatever was expected of me. Basically, I was a good Catholic Italian girl. Um, I went to a private Catholic school, not the regular diocesan school, because I was perfect. So I was sent off to school at four because my mother felt I was too attached to her. And it was a horrible experience for me, and I think I still suffer from separation anxiety. Um, I just turned four in February, and they put me in school in September. And I remember screaming at the bus stop and holding on to the pole of the stop sign because I didn't want to leave my mother. But they pried my fingers off the pole, pushed me onto the bus, and there I went off to school at four years old. And unfortunately, I got sick on the bus every day, going to school and coming back from school, to the point that they actually had a pail on the bus with my name on it. It was called the Rain's Throw a Pail. So at four years old, I had to deal with getting on a bus and being handed a pail, knowing that I would be getting sick on the bus. 
Um, I was in nursery school for just a little while when I realized I could already read, so then they transferred me into kindergarten. I was too smart for uh, nursery school. And I could still remember that sister who was the kindergarten teacher. She was so big and, you know, with a full habit, and I was so afraid. And if she would yell, even if it weren't at me, I would get sick. So then I had my pail in class also. Lorraine threw a pail in school. So every time she would yell, I would throw up. So that happened for actually two years, and then finally the sisters suggested my mother take me out and put me in another school, which she did, another private Catholic school. But I was much better by then. At least I didn't, that school didn't give me throw-a-pails. In third grade, I took public transportation, so that I didn't have to worry about a throw-a-pail there either. But sometimes it's frustrating, like, why didn't people realize that it's not normal for someone to get sick at least four times a day? I also had a problem with bowels at that young age, and my mother took me to the doctor, and it was just, well, put magazines in the bathroom, maybe it'll distract her. No one thought of anything beyond, it must be me. And I grew up thinking it probably was me. So then as a Catholic, it came time to receive my first Holy Communion, which if those that are Catholic know it's a very special day. And that's, I think, as I look back into my past, one of the first times that I think the abuse really affected me, when it was time to receive the host, and I'm a very literal person, it was the body and blood of Christ. When the priest put that host on my tongue, I couldn't breathe. I was just gagging, and I, I didn't know what to do, because here you are in front of everyone, so being perfect, I did everything I could to look like I was so prayerful, and I went back to my seat. And when I got back, I really couldn't breathe, so I didn't know what to do, so I took the host out of my mouth, and I put it in the chair in front of me. And that started decades of living with guilt because I knew this was a sacred host, this was the body and blood of Christ, and I just discarded it on the chair in front of me. Um, as an adult and looking back, I can understand that having been sexually abused by my brother, being a literal person, having another person in my mouth, I couldn't breathe because that's what was happening. Again, my brother was eight years older than I was, so I was not able to breathe. Um, it went on for years where I would try to receive communion and I would get sick, have to bring it to the priest. He would then yell at me for not being able to take the host. So I lived with the guilt of being abused, knowing it was wrong. I lived with the guilt of what I've done to the host, getting throwing Jesus out, so to speak. And to this day, I really cannot swallow the host. I can't chew it. I just put it on the roof of my mouth until it dissolves. So I still have a lot of those effects. I think part of being abused is that there's so many times that I really try to convince myself it never happens. Um, I know it's wishful thinking because I have so many effects of it, even to the point of trying to receive communion. Uh, I don't know of anyone else who has a problem swallowing a host, but for me, I just can't breathe. So along the way, I've done and continue to do some harmful things to myself. When I was young, I brushed my teeth so hard that I actually wore out the gums. I thought if I brushed hard enough, any taste or feel or anything of my brother would be removed. And it didn't stop until my mouth was bleeding. How else can I get all of that out of my mouth? So then after my mother took me to the dentist and then they just said I needed a softer brush again, there was never any questions as to why this was being done. I would burn my hands. I had eczema, so I figured there'd be no questions asked. So I would just hold my hands under the hot water until they would ooze. And again, it was the hope that anything of my brother would come off. Um, having to touch him, that, that feel, I wanted to get rid of it. And now as an adult, I continue to burn myself in the shower. But now I'm smart enough to not have it show anywhere. 
Um, I'm doing better with it, um, but I still do it. You know, this, so I don't want to use the word craziness because it's what I'm doing, but my brother's been dead for 21 years, and I still feel like he's on me. So in my head, it makes perfect sense that maybe if I burn him off, the memories will go away. But I don't think that's really what will happen. I just have to work through that. So most of my life, I lived numb. I didn't feel any of the pain, like when I brushed my teeth or when I burned myself. I really don't feel it. I think from leaving myself as a child and the abuse was going on, I was able to leave and just numb out. I've learned not to feel anything. And unfortunately, it's really affected my health. I don't have symptoms of anything. For example, I had a double ear infection, never felt it until it literally exploded in my ear. That's the first time I had pain. I've become a diabetic, a stress-induced diabetic. Um, I didn't have any of the symptoms. I broke out in a rash, and when they did some blood work, they found out that my enzymes were out of control. I try my best not to numb out, but I think it's become such a part of me, a natural part of me, that I continue to do it. I think part of the numbing is because even though I could say in my head, I know it wasn't my fault, there's still a piece of me that blames myself. A, for allowing it to happen, B, for never saying anything. So when you feel that badly about yourself, the best thing you could do is just numb, off, numb out those feelings. You just don't want to feel it. So I'm an incest survivor. To me, it's immoral, and it sickens me to think that it was a relative. There's something very sickening about knowing it was my brother. You know, that my brother would be inside of me. As a child, again, with eight years difference, I didn't understand a lot of the things he was doing, but something in me knew it was wrong. Um, I always say, I think my brother invented the first condom. I think he realized after a certain age I, there was a possibility of pregnancy, so he would use plastic bags. Again, the more I say it, the more I realize how sick it was. And then at this point in my life, especially since he died, I think I'm supposed to forgive him. Supposedly by forgiving him, I'm helping myself. But I have to be honest, I really want him to be burning in hell. Um, I want the mercy of God for me, but as far as he's concerned, I don't want God to show him any mercy. But then you deal with that same guilt, like when I receive my communion. It's like I know what is expected of me, but it's so difficult for me to do it. It's, I, sometimes I feel like I live in the twilight zone when I try to spiritualize my life. It's, it's like a torment, what I want or feel and what I should do. Well, I don't know, is it wrong to not want to forgive? Am I a bad person or less of a Catholic because I want justice for a wrong that was done to me? A lot of times I blame the abuse because I don't know who I really should have been in this world. I mean, the abuse obviously will change you. And I resent that. Like, I don't know the person I was supposed to be. But despite all of that, I have accomplished some things. I hold down a full-time job. I'm educated. But I think my greatest accomplishment is that I haven't killed myself. I think when you're abused... And you feel so down on yourself, that's something that comes to mind. So I've lived with a lot of sadness, poor self-esteem. There's time when, times when I seriously wanted to kill myself, but I would never want to hurt the people left behind because I know what hurt feels like now, so I would never do that to anyone. Um, I've known many people in my life who have killed themselves, and I know what it's like for the families that are left behind. Um, another accomplishment, although this isn't totally accomplished, is... I have not abused anyone else. However, I do abuse myself. So I broke the chain of abuse as far as I have not physically or sexually abused anyone, but I need to work on my self-abuse. Another accomplishment that is probably miraculous is that I can actually feel. Having lived my life numb, I never felt. I didn't even know I had feelings. I have worked very, very hard 
to be able to name a feeling and then to actually feel it. Um, I still struggle with that, but at least I'm starting to feel things. Being Italian again, it was very difficult to have to leave my home because my mother had already died. So I was leaving a widowed father, and I had one brother was married. My other brother who abused me was still at home. And so at 28, the abuse was still happening, but in a different way. If we were home watching TV, my brother would masturbate in front of me. He had no problem with that. And even at that age, I would still freeze and not be able to say anything. Um, to this day, no one in my family knows about this at all. I'm just starting to tell my story. So I really needed to get myself out of the house. But again, culturally, you don't leave a widowed father. My new role was supposed to be his wife and my brother's mother. But I had felt a call to enter the convent, and so I did enter. And um, that was one way, a safe way of getting out of the house. And as I look back, I realized that I really was a strong person at that point to be able to do that because I did not have any family support, very little friend support in entering the convent, but I did it. And it was one way to get myself away from my brother. So my brother's dead 21 years, and it's interesting because I've never written about his death. Again, that numbness is there. It's interesting, when my brother died, I had to uh, give his eulogy at the mass. And the reason being, there was no one else in my family who would speak in public. I was the only one. And it was so hard to write beautiful words about the person who abused you for at least 24 years, if, I, if it started maybe when I was four. And I was, I was writing that and, and giving these beautiful words. I mean, he sounded like this wonderful person. I began to doubt myself and say, maybe he was, and it's me, I'm the one that was wrong. So I think sometimes even at this point, I still try to protect him. Or maybe it's just too much for me to handle. But I'm working on that too, trying to get in touch with writing to him, letting him know what he actually did to me. I still question, it's like maybe the abuse didn't happen. But I know, especially now that I've told my story, that it, it did happen, even after all these years. Another thing that I didn't want to do, but I'm thrilled that I did, is to go for therapy. I've been in therapy for a long time. Sometimes I think I must have a serious problem because it's been so long. It's been about 21 years. And then I think about all I've been through, and I know it's a blessing that I have gone. If I'm really honest, it's therapy that saved my life. I think with the memories and all that's gone on, I would have been so depressed to the point that I probably would have become manic. So I really say it's because of the therapy that I'm able to feel. Um, it gives me a feeling of normalcy that I can feel some things. Not everything, but at least I can name them and feel them. It also makes me feel like maybe I'm not as bad as I thought. I do have some human qualities, such as feelings. I struggle with being normal. Um, very often I'll ask somebody, did I do something right? Because if it's right, then it's like what you're supposed to do. So when I think back to the beginning of my therapy, it was I was told it's a relationship. And right away, I was like, no, I don't do relationships. That has to do with feelings. And I'm here to say that after 21 years, there is a relationship. And you can be in a relationship that's not hurtful. I can't imagine my life without it. And I have to say the person that I go to has been so patient because in the 21 years, probably this past year is when I really started to talk about the abuse. I would give little hints, but never want to delve into it until now. Now I'm really starting to work on it. And I think that's why the feelings are now coming out. Because of it, I do have a lot more confidence. I don't call myself damaged goods anymore. I do need to work on my self-esteem. But again, I've come a long way. I finally understand what a relationship is about. You know, it's okay to share your dirty laundry with someone as long as that person has your heart in, your, in their interest. You know, I've been hurt many times along the way, and it would be normal, especially with my past, to just give up and not trust. 
trust is something I really struggle with. I don't trust God. I don't trust people. But now as, as I'm meeting new people in my life, I'm realizing I can trust. There's a certain gut feeling that you know it's safe. And it brought me to the point where I finally wanted to tell my story. And I still amaze myself that I've gotten to this point. Because I used to say, who cares about my story? But I now realize that it's not so much about someone caring about my story, but rather that someone cares about me and wants to know my story. It's about someone wanting to help me have a better life, a more complete life. And as I would say, maybe a normal life. So that's sort of my story from the beginning to this point. Um, again, I'm still struggling, but I'm working on it. I've come a long way. And one thing I don't usually say about myself is I'm proud of myself. But in many ways, I am because I have been able to tell my story. And hopefully it would help some other people who have been in the same situation. Thank you, Lorraine. Thank you. Thank you. You're helping more people than you know. I'm going to ask you a few questions. I have like 17 number one questions I want to ask you. (laughs) And it's like, so you. Right? That's so me. But I'm going to go to this one because I think it's the one people might be asking the most at home. Why didn't you tell your parents or you had another brother in the house, right? Uh Explain to people why you can't tell. Um, I still can't tell. (laughs) My family still doesn't know. My brother that abused me um, had threatened me. My father and I got along, but it wasn't like this great father-daughter relationship, but I was very close to my mother. And he told me that if I ever told her, she would be so angry at me and hate me. So I can't deal with somebody hating me to this day. You know, um, Mm. if somebody gets angry at me, I'll always say, please just, just be mad at me, don't hate me. And the thought of, like, when you only have one parent that you're really, really close to, the yeah. thought of that person hating you and not bothering with you was more than I can handle. So it was really fear that kept me from telling anyone. And then even though I was much older and still being abused, it was the shame that kept me from telling. Because at that point, it was like, you know, you're, you're a smart person. Why didn't you say something at that point? And then it, it went from fear to shame. And to this day, I would be really ashamed to tell my story to the family. But it might happen now. We're taking steps. So we can understand why little Lorraine's uh, hands were wrapped around that pole. Don't don't take me away from my mom at four years old. Mm -hmm. We get that. It's hard for people to understand why your family didn't see. And you had that that dual role. You were the special little perfect girl. Oh, little Lorraine, she does everything right. But inside, you felt like garbage. Exactly. So they could see that you were perfect, and maybe they thought you were a little sensitive with the throwing up and all the other things. But do you wonder... See, I don't wonder because I know culturally I understand the family and the era so but people might wonder why didn't your parents notice something I just don't think they thought along those lines I mean now that abuse is much more prevalent and, and out there you know if I if I see a child who's throwing up so many times a day I would definitely question it if I had a child who didn't go to the bathroom a lot you know maybe once a week I would question it, but no one thinks along those lines. And of course, I was raised to say I had two older brothers who were my protectors. So who would ever in a million years think that one of them wasn't? Right. Where and is... even doctors, I don't think, thought along those lines. Like to say, put magazines in the bathroom and then maybe she'll get distracted and go. You know, this endocrinologist, it's like it's a, it's, a, it's a known fact that there's a reason why people cannot go to the bathroom. So. 
because they're holding everything in? They're holding it in. When you were a little girl and you were having this dream and you're running with the vault, what was in the vault? What was in that little bank? I have no, it was never opened. Yeah. I always wonder what was in it. It's, I know it wasn't money. It was probably just peace. Peace. Would it be safe? I mean, the damage of the safe. Yeah. No, I was running to try to be safe. Right, right. And, uh, but I never, never got there. And your other brother, he's still alive? Yes. And he knows nothing of this? Nothing. Did he have a relationship with the abuser? He did. I mean, the normal brother-to-brother kind of thing. There was three years between the two of them, but they were total opposites. Okay. And your brother, the abuser, did he ever leave the house and go out and have a family or a life? He got—he never had a life, but um, he didn't have to go out. He was married for one year. And on his one-year anniversary, his wife gave him divorce papers, and then he moved back to the house. Yeah. So that's why it just continued. Because really, there's something wrong with him, you know? Mm-hmm. He, he was, God forgive me, the damaged goods here. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, there was a monster in your house, and nobody knew it. Exactly. With my numbness, I didn't know it either. I think it became so much a part of life that... You know, as an adult, that I still would hurt myself, burn, you know, burning myself. Right. That was such a familiar feeling to me. It's almost like there's a comfort in it because it was expected and it was done so much. Yeah. It was normal. So yeah. when it stopped, it's like I had to then do something to get that feeling back of being normal. So it's abusing yourself. There's so much pain within this. Mm-hmm. The pain without is part of it. But I'm so grateful. I know oh. today you are changing lives. And I know because I know you, I know you're funny and you're really smart and you're so easy to be with. And I want people to know that, that in a lot of ways you're okay. But in many, many, mm-hmm. many, many other ways, you are carrying cement blocks on your shoulders. Yeah, externally, you would never know anything. But that's because that's how I had to be raised, to never show, to be perfect. The perfect little girl. Mm-hmm. The perfect little girl. So your parents have passed without knowing any of this. Yes. Your brother may find out one day. Maybe. You. Well, I always say, what's the purpose at this point? But I might get there. You joined the convent, and then after a time, you got out. I did. I left after 20 years. Why did you leave? I was finding myself to get into that depression. Uh, I was also the youngest in the community, and the next oldest was like 20 years older than I was. And then I had gone to social work school, and I think from that learned it helped to stir all the feelings and everything. And um, I just made the decision that it was time to, to move on because I didn't want to live my adulthood being depressed also. Right. I don't regret going in. It was a wonderful life for me for the time I was there. I mean, it had its, its problems along the way, but I don't regret that. It's probably given me the time to, A, get out of the abuse in my house. Not that that's a good enough reason, but it also gave me that time to think about myself and learn about myself. So I think it was all part of the process. I really do. I think there was, there was a reason I was called to religious life and a reason why I left. And I'm still doing many things within my church, within the faith. So that part of me is still very much alive, but there's an enjoyment now. So you believe that when you die and go to heaven, you're going to meet Jesus. Mm-hmm. What do you think he's going to say about all this? I know that's my struggle because I don't. I want to make sure I don't meet my brother <laughs> when I get there. So I really struggle with the whole idea of as a Catholic, we're supposed to forgive, but I just, I just can't get there. So. Right. If I'm able to forgive my brother before I get there, then I'm sure Jesus will be thrilled. If I don't, I'm going to count on the mercy and understanding of God that 
they know I've tried. When and where are you happy today? Happy is a hard one for me. Maybe my happiness is that I've come this far, that I was able to tell my story. And as you know, I've told it at the circle of women and now again. It makes me happy to know I'm helping someone else. So I I guess I still can't get the happiness for myself, but it is for helping others. I still struggle with the worth of myself, although I've come a long way. I keep pushing it on to others. Oh, this is wonderful. I'm able to do this for you. I can do this for this person and that person. That really does give me joy, knowing I could help someone. There are women listening, many families listening, that have had this in their own family. Is there anything you can say to them? Don't give up on yourself. And I strongly recommend therapy because no one can do this one alone. You really can't. And wherever you're at, just... I want to say embrace yourself at this point. You've survived it, and that's a great feat in itself. I mean, like I said, I've been in therapy for 20 years, and just starting at the tip of the iceberg to start talking about it. It took a lot of work to make myself feel that I was even worthy to tell my story, that it would matter. So just keep believing and doing it, and come to the circle. Join the circle. There will be another healing circle at Mariondale and Ossining this spring. If you have been violated, physically, emotionally, sexually, even if it was just one time, don't minimize that. There's a place for you in the circle. I'm also creating a virtual circle online so we can connect in that way. Email me at casey.co, K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. And if Lorraine's message touched you in any way, please let me know so I can let her know. And for Lorraine, our thought for the day comes from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who said, the most beautiful people I've known are those who have known trials, have known struggles, have known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show for your entertainment only. Heard Sunday mornings on 100.7 WHUD and on Real Country's 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Subscribe to Shine On on iTunes and SoundCloud and catch a show anytime at Casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Shine On.